The following program is sponsored by Grant Stern. This is the Only in Miami show, sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Islands. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. Well, if you're driving and stuck in traffic, and I would say by the look out the window at our Blue Lagoon Studios, you probably are, kick those shoes off and stay tuned. We have an outstanding show for you tonight. If you live in Miami-Dade County, you don't want to miss this one, or in Broward either. And for our listeners that are even further afield, stay tuned. We're going to be speaking with Miami Beach Commissioner Kristen Rosen-Gonzalez about the issues that are impacting Miami Beach, but also facing all Floridians regarding the Zika virus. Uh, Miami Beach just had the Zika zone tripled from covering just South Beach to covering two-thirds of the city of Miami Beach and its 90,000 residents. And... Uh, personally, having lived through the Wynwood uh, Ground Zero designation for the last two months myself, I'm very, very well acquainted with it. Uh, Commissioner Rosen Gonzalez has been working on this stuff almost nonstop. And, uh, you know, there's something more to share. I want everybody to check it out on Twitter. Uh, go to my handle, at Grant Stern. And I've been publishing several stories in the Huffington Post recently about these issues, and in particular, about aerial spraying and Zika virus, and we're going to play some of the video clips from that. In the second half of the show, we're going to have uh, Commissioner Rosen Gonzalez with us for the entire show tonight. Also, uh, we will have Peter Ehrlich calling in to talk about City of Miami issues right around 6.20 p.m. Uh, Peter Ehrlich is an activist and a property owner, and uh, he is going to be speaking about an issue that's impacting the uh, 36th Street and Biscayne region. It's this key choke point in traffic for Miami, the city of Miami. Um, it's the place where, you know, Miami Beach meets the city. And it's also like a key transit point for people that are leaving downtown and people that are in the area as well. And there's a proposal to upzone that area without creating any additional relief for the traffic, any extra transit. And it seems like uh, that's going to be a big problem issue at this Thursday's commission meeting for the city of Miami. But this is the part of the program where you give me uh, a few minutes to speak directly to you, the listening audience, about issues of importance that affect us in South Florida and sometimes beyond. But I want to take this few minutes to speak about the city of Miami, and in particular, the top of the city of Miami's legal department, the city attorney, Victoria Mendez. Um, a week and a half ago, Commissioner Ken Russell accused her of withholding public records from him unlawfully in conjunction with a zoning matter that's taking place in Coconut Grove. Uh, according to Commissioner Russell, uh, his office requested documents related to a zoning matter 
Um, the, the matter is not really an especially huge matter, but it's just um, one of those things that comes up every day in the course of city business where um, property owners want to do something new with their property and their neighbors want to have a say. And um, in this case, uh, you know, the neighbors were entitled to a say. Um, the city was doing everything the right way. And then all of a sudden, the process went off track. And that's when the neighbors went to the commissioner. And that's when the commissioner went to his attorney and said, please get me all of the discussions about this, all of the email discussions. And sure enough, she provided some emails, but she withheld about 30 emails that detailed what had really happened. Uh, Victoria Mendez had spoken with a lobbyist. The lobbyist had asked her to intervene. She intervened forcefully outside of the city's zoning processes. Um, it's just one of these situations where if the developers did not like the decision, they're certainly free to appeal the decision up to the commission and let the commission make a decision. That's how the process works. And somehow the process was short-circuited by this city attorney. And now it's come to light because <clears throat> Commissioner Russell uh, brought it up in a commission meeting. And on this Thursday's agenda, there will be a discussion about hiring counsel to seek termination of this city attorney. And it's a big deal. I think that it's something that all city of Miami residents should pay attention to because the city attorney has a duty to both the commission who she represents and to the citizens and as well to uphold the state constitution and to be ethical in all of her activities. And it sounds like the city attorney did not ethically carry out her duties to this commissioner, um, which is a big deal. And you know, he is very publicly opposing someone with a contract with a very entrenched, um, you know, an entrenched reason for being with the city who probably doesn't want to go. It's a, a very high paying job. It's very prestigious. It's the largest municipal law firm in the state. Um, but he's right. And, uh, you know, I would hope that more Miami residents pay attention to this because your city attorney is interfering in places that the attorney doesn't belong. And that is a big deal. We are paying to have a government and have the attorneys be the watchdogs of that government. If the attorney is the one causing the problem, well then we need a new watchdog at the helm. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live in studio with Kristen Rosen Gonzalez. She is a city commissioner for the city of Miami Beach. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. Thanks for having me, Grant. Well, it's good to have you in studio this time. Um, but unfortunately, the circumstances on the beach could be better. So I'll let you take your pick. Would you like to discuss the Zika issue first or the water issue first? Um, <laughs> what a great pick. It's um, great picks here. <laughs> I guess we'll go with the Zika first because that really is at the forefront of what every single resident in Miami is facing right now. Let's um, talk about that then. So the city has, uh, you guys made a resolution asking the, the county to find an alternative to spraying. Yeah, we came up with a really comprehensive resolution last week asking the county to use non-toxic methods and asking the county to develop an independent mos mosquito advisory board comprised of scientists from the local universities, activists, residents, politicians, um, so we could, so people felt like they could weigh in on this issue that was affecting them. So we 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 crafted a great resolution, and I was really proud of our city commission because we did this and with the Department of Agriculture president, the, de the president, uh, the, de the, the Department of Health. Uh, we had the county uh, deputy mayor there. So there's very few times and all the residents plus the entire commission. So there's very few times where you get all these stakeholders in a room and you craft a resolution like we did on the floor. Um, the question is, we don't have the ultimate control. We can pass this resolution, but what's going to happen afterward? Are they going to follow our advice? Right. That is the big problem that you can resolve anything you like, but the city doesn't control the the, the public health uh, mechanisms. It's the Florida Department of Health, right? Yes. Uh, uh, the county. And the county. Through, the, through what? The Mosquito Board? Yeah, we have the Miami-Dade County Mosquito Control and uh, the Department of Health. And that's been really frustrating. And then the CDC on top of that. Of course, the CDC advising. And the CDC right. was there when we did the resolution, when we crafted the re resolution, too. So um, it's very frustrating because we cannot control whether we're being sprayed or not, what are the methods that are being used to being sprayed. But more importantly, we're not getting all the information in a timely manner. I just, we, we found out about these, this. Well, who is withholding the information? Is it the CDC? Is it the Department of Health? Or is it the, the county? I think it's the state that's withholding this information because they knew about the Zika cases for a couple of weeks in this new Zika zone. So for two weeks now, we haven't been treating the area north of 28th Street to 88th Street. And now, I mean, how much has the Zika spread? And then while they allow the Zika to spread out of control, then they say, okay, now we're going to spray you with toxic chemicals. So <laughs> it's very frustrating. It's very pleasant. Sounds, sounds like a real vacation. Uh, yeah, this last, honestly, the last cluster of Zika, do you know how I found out? I found out on Facebook because one of my constituents lived next door to a doctor who was having a barbecue on Labor Day and four people got Zika. That's how I found out. That's how the oh city. Oh, my gosh. That's how the city manager found out. He found out on Facebook, not from the, not from the state. And we told the county. We told the county and the county came out and started spraying. That's terrible. It is because it's affecting all of our residents. You should have seen how many people were upset at the spraying of Naled. The entire hospitality industry is suffering. They said it's been, the Fountain Blue said it's the worst year in 15 years. And we have cancellations of, of you know, conventions and marriages, all sorts of hospitality. Oh, I know. There was a, there was a uh, 
party by Fool's Gold. They're a very, very like famous musical recording label. And they they booked out of Winwood. They took off. They said, you know, we're going to go up to Fort Lauderdale this year just to keep everybody safe. Yeah, who wants to deal with the Zika zone? And the the research keeps coming out, and it's worse and worse. Like it's mutated from now. We've shown the connection between microcephaly, and they, and now the Zika that they injected into mice is causing brain damage in adults. So the research keeps getting worse and worse. We really need to attack this. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about that because there was a, an interview that's making the rounds. Um, I wrote about it in Huffington Post, and it got picked up by uh, the World Post. Um, and it, it was given by uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Richard Cal- uh, Michael Callahan. Uh, Michael Callahan is a Harvard scientist and also a doctor at Massachusetts General Hospital. And he's one of the world's fo- foremost experts on Zika. And he said that um, the kind of nighttime and early morning spraying, high-altitude high spraying that the city of Miami Beach is doing, uh, or is being done, excuse me, it's not being done by the city of Miami Beach, uh, but is being done in the city of Miami Beach. That kind of altitude spraying is actually not a very effective method of controlling Aedes aegypti, the mosquito that transmits Zika. Um, so how does the city extricate itself from this spraying regime? Okay, first and foremost, it worked in Wynwood. The mosquito counts were weighed down when they did the... the uh, Larvicide on the ground, this BTI, which is a natural bacterium, and then NALED and, you know, adulticide, which kills the adult mosquitoes from the air. So that treatment worked really well in Wynwood, and they were able to lift the ban on Wynwood today, the CDC advisory. Um, in Miami Beach, however, we didn't do that. But I, I will say, and I am absolutely not in favor of spraying, that our mosquito counts after the third spray are way down, dramatically reduced from like 20-something odd mosquitoes per trap to four. The latest count was four mosquitoes per trap. So it is working, but it might not work on, you know, long, it's not a long-term solution. We can't just, you know, zap our, we can't just keep spraying the population. Well, isn't spraying NALID affecting the other wildlife on Miami Beach? I'm seeing images of dead birds. Um, dead bees, dead other, you know, small creatures that, I mean, they're part of our ecosystem. It's, it's killing some Zika mosquitoes for sure, but it's also really wiping out all of the animal life on Miami Beach. Yeah, it was very disturbing for me to see the photos of the bees, and especially when I saw the picture of the green parrot that was dead, that, that really hit home because I love to hear the parrot sing. Um, but I think that what the county is doing is spraying because they feel that having babies that could be born with microcephaly is probably worse than, you know, than, than killing, you know, dead bees and, or, or birds and, or then spraying and having that side effect with the, the birds and bees. Um, there's no positive solution. Either way, we lose. Um, so how, how, what is Miami Beach doing to try and get more boots on the ground? Um, in a few minutes, I'm going to play a clip from Dr. Callahan's, uh, you know, interview. It's very lengthy. It's like a 47-minute interview. So it's about the length of this program. Um, But I'll just uh, read, you know, a quote from the doctor. Aerial spraying with NALID or many of the other insecticides have been proven systematically to be less effective. For Aetis gypti, you need on-the-ground spray, houses and yards, and, and absolutely control breeding sites by getting rid of standing water. So is there anything that the city can do right now 
to focus on those aspects of mosquito control. Okay, so as of today, the City of Miami Beach um, staff met with the County Mosquito Control Board this morning, and right now the mayor is not going to spray the rest of the Zika zone with NOLID, and what we are doing is larvicide from the north end of Miami Beach at 88th Street all the way down to South Beach on the ground. We also have trucks that are spraying adulticide, but it's a more environmentally adulticide than the NOLID. Um, EPA approved also. And then we're going door to door to individual properties and we're checking out if they have bromeliads. Today when I got home, for example, there was a door hanger talking about uh, show, you know, educating people on bromeliads and what you need to do to remove standing water. The question is, if people are out of town or there's abandoned houses, it's really difficult to, you know, to canvas the entire city because the Aedes aegypti, uh, you know, that, that larva breeds in really small amounts of water. And that's sure. why sometimes the spraying doesn't work. It's a very difficult mosquito to get rid of. That's right. It's it's very adapted for its environment. It, it actually prefers, you know, a murky corner where people are less likely to overturn it than, you know, some more obvious breeding grounds, according to the doctor. Well, I watched that 45-minute video this morning from my, my office at the college, Miami Dade College where I'm a professor, and I spent 45 minutes, and I was very happy to hear the doctor speak, Dr. Callahan, correct, mm -hmm. speak about OxyTech and how he really does believe that this genetically modified mosquito is is probably a positive thing because it does eradicate the Aedes aegypti uh, species. But that scares a lot of people. Every single time I mention it, uh, people go crazy on social media. But I think it's a question of education. Well, you know, it's a question of research. And the, the pro we know that the sterile mosquitoes will impact the mosquito population. What you're talking about is Oxitec. They're an engineering company that engineered a mosquito that is born sterile, a male mosquito that is born sterile. And um, the problem is that there's no independent research about this mosquito. You see, the, the only research that exists is actually sponsored by Oxitec. <laughs> well, that's true. But I did go to the government of the Cayman Islands where they reduced, where Oxitec went in and released the mosquitoes. And it looks so environmentally friendly. I mean, you see the picture of the kids with these plastic mosquitoes and they're releasing the males into the um, environment. And the government so far seems really happy with the results. So while we don't have this independent research and we only have Oxitec, I mean, the governments and, and people living on the Cayman Islands seem to, you know, approve of of what's happening, but we don't know the long-term effects. Oh yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different vectors to fight these mosquitoes. There's uh, one called Wolbachia. <clears throat> there's um, there's actually another way they microwave the mosquitoes to make them sterile. I saw, uh, the, yes, that machine. But it just seems like releasing these males into the environment is such an easy, um, cost-effective way to eradicate the Aedes aegypti because otherwise I don't really see how we're going to get rid of it. And I, and I know that the Center for Disease Control is not going to allow Zika in the United States. And the only alternative is for them to keep spraying us. And we definitely don't want that. So at the last meeting, we did pass a resolution urging the county to ask the FDA for approval to at least explore the OxyTech solution. Um, a lot of residents were very unhappy when I proposed this and I was accused of, you know, working for OxyTech, which I absolutely wasn't. I think I'm just trying to find some sort of solution. Well, it's, <laughs> it's a difficult problem. And uh, we're going to take a real short break. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Baby. 
This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, Podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Peter Ehrlich. Peter's an activist in the city of Miami. Peter, thank you for joining us on the program tonight. Grant, thank you very much for the invitation. So, Peter, you were telling me earlier that there's a project planned for Biscayne Boulevard and 37th and 38th Street, actually two projects planned, and they're both seeking up zoning, which would add a lot of traffic to the Biscayne Corridor. Can you tell our audience a little bit about these two projects that are coming up for a vote on Thursday at City of Miami City Hall? Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, This intersection, 38th Street and Biscayne Boulevard, is considered one of the worst intersections in the City of Miami. Why is that? Uh, Because it's a exit ramp from I-95 from cars leaving Miami Beach. They actually get off on this 38th Street ramp off the highway if they want to go north on Biscayne Boulevard to Aventura or south downtown, if they want to go south on Biscayne going downtown. Or they can go straight across Biscayne Boulevard into the newly revitalized design district. and that com- combined with the like, 70 or 75,000 cars a day that go north and south on Biscayne Boulevard, um, combined with the, you know, the vehicles getting off the highway to join this rush of traffic and, and the uh, emergence, the quick emergence of the design district, it's a terrible, terrible intersection. So you told me that you're asking the commission to defer the item, but how would this item impact drivers on the Biscayne Corridor? Like, how many more cars do you think that it would add? Has there been a traffic study? No, we, we understand that the, the, um, uh, the, the intersection and that section of Biscayne is already rated like F as traffic studies get rated. So it's already a failure. Wait so a minute. Need... There, traffic engineers actually will call anything a failure? I've never heard of that before. Usually, don't uh, they say that everything is okay? You're, talk, you're talking about traffic studies. Ah, my bad. Yes, the conclusion from every traffic study we've ever seen is that regardless of the project, there's no negative traffic impact on the surrounding community. But you're saying it's too late for this particular area. From the ratings point of view. Right. But just to, just to describe the situation a little bit, on the south side, between 37 and 38th Street, there's a one-story building. And the, the speculators from New York that bought the property after it had been on the market for about a year, they want to build what could be as tall as a 20-story building on this little lot that's 
that's part of the ramp that FDOT uses to get people to get on the highway to going westbound on I-95. So there's right. sort of a circular roundabout, and it, it, it cuts around this parcel these people from New York bought, and they are applying to upzone the property that they've got, the one, you know, so the, the one-story building could ultimately be possibly as tall as 20 stories. Now, on the, on the, on the, concurrently, on the north side of 38th Street, between 38 and 39, there's a three-story building that most people will remember used to be the police museum. There's, a, there's even a car still stuck on the wall, and lately it's been medical offices. It's a three-story building, and the owners of that property, the owners are, I think they live in Pinecrest, Fisher Island, and Aventura. They would like um, to build a building that's 30 stories tall. So the, the neighbors, the surrounding neighbors from uh, north of 36th Street have all gotten together in unity to oppose the upzoning for both of these, both of these projects. And they're, they're both on the agenda on Thursday. It's PZ2. PZ3 and PZ4, and they're being heard on Thursday, and um, we're asking initially just for deferrals, but um, the local groups, and local groups include um, Magnolia Park and Lemon City and Bay Point, Morningside, Belmead, Bayside, Palm Grove, uh, Buena Vista, in neighborhood groups have a lot of leaders that are very active, go to a lot of meetings, read through the agendas, and that intersection is very important to all of us, and we would like commissioners to act with common sense and uh, turn down the request for upzoning for both those projects. So where can people get involved? Where can they go online and find out a little bit more about what you're doing, Peter, and how to get involved on this Thursday at Miami City Hall and what time uh, to get involved, to get out there and make a comment? Well, the planning and zoning agenda starts not before 2 o'clock, and there are 15 items on this agenda, so that the meeting might even go to 9 or 10 o'clock at night on Thursday. But anybody could show up um, at 2 o'clock or later, and they could meet anybody, any of us that will be there asking for a deferral. Now, other activists, other concerned citizens who are there to speak on any of the 15 items. Well, uh, Peter, I really appreciate you coming on the program and informing our audience about this issue. Can you tell us where to find out more on Twitter and so people can keep up and reach out? Um, I, I have a Twitter account, and I think it's Peter Ehrlich1. Uh, yeah, yeah. At, at Twitter. I don't, I, I don't have it memorized, sorry to say. <laughs> and people can, can um, follow me on Twitter. I, we don't have a website for this particular cause, but um, people can get information from from DACRA, which is the main developer for the design district, and any of the community leaders on the Upper East Side and the Biscayne Quarter, everybody's following this issue very closely. Well, Peter, thank you again for joining us on the program. Thank you. Thanks, Grant. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
on point and a walk is mean. The crowd parts like the sea. They can look, but a touch they can only dream. He loves a challenge, so he licks his lips. He's inspired by her arrogance. His first words make her body tense. She can't leave because she feels his strength. Now she can't help but listen. But she's down to her last defense. She says, Why you being so persistent? He says, I speak what I want into existence. She never heard a man talk like this. 880 to Biz. Time saver traffic. Busy in the city. We're looking at stop traffic on 95 northbound from the 112 up past 62nd. And the Palmetto's jammed up southbound. as an accident at 58th Street. Delays from 74th. And in Fort Lauderdale, we have an accident 95 northbound approaching Oakland Park Boulevard. And a second accident 95 northbound approaching Atlantic Boulevard. That's your South Florida traffic. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live in studio with Kristen Rosen-Gonzalez. She is a city commissioner for the city of Miami Beach. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Grant. I'd like to especially thank you for facing some of these difficult issues. Um, it can be very difficult to get hold of officials at Miami Beach sometimes. Some of the city employees are, are very good about getting back to me. Um, some of the commissioners uh, are, some aren't. Um, and of course, when it comes to the, the top elected position in the city of Miami Beach, um, I've pretty much been officially declared persona non grata. So it's good for a change to have an elected official from Miami Beach who confronts these issues and is willing to talk about them. Thank you. Well, thanks. I like to come out and educate people as best I can so they know what's going on in their communities. Too, too many times there's a disconnect about well, what's really happening and sometimes what the media reports. Well, I feel like the secrecy is the, a big part of the problem. Just like you were saying, you, you found out on Facebook that there was going to be a huge expansion in the the Zika impacted area in your city, and you're one of the city's elected officials. So, I mean, how can we end this culture of secrecy that seems to have taken hold over so many uh, municipal and state agencies? I think now that they realize that the flow of information is not running smoothly, they're trying. The Department of Health is putting out a daily Zika update, but if it doesn't have updated information in it, then what's the point? <laughs> I think well, they're that, afraid. That's misinformation, really. If you're up giving an update every day, but you're only telling people about the important stuff after the fact. I think they're afraid to create pandemonium surrounding tourism, but we don't do this when there's a public safety emergency. And uh, it's been very disappointing. And even sometimes at the city, it's difficult. This morning, I was going on another show, and I said, listen, I need the information, and I need it now, and I had to demand it. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have gotten the most up-to-date information. That, that's bad. I mean, you had to <laughs> demand it from the city or from the county or from the state. I, I did. I had, to, I had to say to the city manager, please, I need the information now because I have to go and tell the public and I want to know exactly what happened at the meeting. And he was, you know, the city manager, Jimmy Morales, is a pretty good guy. He immediately complied, but I kind of had to put some pressure um, on him to get me the information right away. And he's been very good. Thank you, Jimmy, for getting me that information this morning. But we should have some sort of update like that every single day as soon as possible. 
so you can so have has anybody discussed and i'm just curious has anybody discussed using the emergency broadcast system to spread the word and tell people that hey um you know if you see standing water try to get rid of it liquidate it you know try to avoid having standing water right now uh use mosquito repellent um that sort of thing um, you're the first person to mention the emergency broadcasting system, so no. Um, we've been sending emails, which I don't think are sufficient. And then during the meeting, I asked, are we telling people about the sprays? And they said, yes, we are putting this information on people's water bills. And I said, well, so many people pay their bills online. <laughs> oh, Do you yeah. read your who, water bill? Who reads their water bill carefully? I mean, when you look at the number, for sure, you look at the number. <laughs> So if something like this happens again, if they say that they're spraying a second round, I would like everyone to receive a postcard so that they know exactly when they're being sprayed so they can turn off their air conditioning, not go outside for their 6 a.m. run, you know, and make the, take the appropriate precautions. I'm going to play a clip from the, the interview. Um, it, it's an interview with Dr. Michael Callahan. He is a Harvard clinician, actually a clinical physician. And uh, are we ready in there? Okay, let's play the clip. You said about this mosquito, uh, it doesn't seem like aerial spraying of this, this nalid and all the other uh, things that may David be being Perlmeter. used is really the right approach. Well, we can tell you what hasn't worked in the past with aerial spraying for this mosquito. There has been a lot of money spent in Singapore, Taiwan, and Japan, and several Central American countries trying to control Aedes aegypti with aerial spraying. It does not work. And the reasons go back to the behaviors of this mosquito. These mosquito, mosquitoes are very different from each other. This is an indoor resident. About 60 to 70% of our total community population is indoors. It is not flying around at night when aerial spraying happens. And it is a weak flyer. It does not fly up high in the air column like the Culex mosquito. What you saw in Florida was the adapted mosquito control plan for West Nile control, which involves a very powerful flying mosquito that flies at night. And that was the one Culex we mentioned before. It feeds on birds, needs to get high up into the trees to find that sleeping crow or blue jay to feed on. So aerial spraying with NALAD or many of the other insecticides have been proven systematically to be less effective. For so uh, that, that was Dr. Michael Callahan. I mean, I wanted our audience to listen. You do have a response, though. You wanted to say something while he was... Well, one thing that bothers me is it, he did say afterward that they were aerial spraying with, with NALED. Um, you know, the, the thing with the aerial spraying is that it worked in Wynwood. And that's the problem is that if it didn't, if it wouldn't have worked in Wynwood, then I don't think that the CDC and the Department of Agriculture would have advised to spray. Now, I, I'm, I'm not for the spraying, but when we had a bunch of experts march in front of us and tell us this is the protocol that we use, this is how we reduce the mosquito counts, at some level we have to be responsible and say, okay, this is what the experts are saying. You know, we can't just look at that one, you know, that one interview, even if he's super reliable and say, you know, it, it was a very difficult decision to make. But I do agree that probably the aerial spraying is not the best choice. And I think actually I was not in support of Mayor Carlos Jimenez until I saw how he's handled this. And he took a lot of abuse from a lot of activists during three hours 
And um, and this time, you know, he could have said, listen, we're going to spray the entire island. And he has put boots on the ground. And he said, we're going to hit it hard, bring these numbers down. I'm going to do everything I can to avoid the aerial spray. So I, I, I admire him. He's in a difficult position. It's a very difficult job being county mayor. There's there all the normal nuts and bolts problems and then all the big picture problems, too. Um, but speaking of mayors, I noticed that the mayor of Miami Beach um, was off in uh, Toronto conveniently during most of the Zika spraying last week. Um, and he is not so accessible these days anymore. Um, what brought about this change? Because he used to be very much out there um, trying to push his name out into the community. Now all of a sudden he's kind of turtling in a bit, unless you're CNN, of course. I think he has a lot of critics. And I think he doesn't do well with this criticism. And instead, sometimes he blocks people. A lot of the um, resident activists who are against the knowledge spraying or have been posting on social media, I was blocked by the mayor. And mm-hmm. if they don't like the train. So he he pushes through his agenda, but he needs to listen to both sides and acknowledge that everybody has a voice. And he doesn't always do that. He should get better at doing that. He needs to come back and to the people again. Well... It, doesn't it concern you that it's exposing the city to liability for his censorship activities? Because that's really what it is when you say, well, you know, if your comments are about, and I'm not making this up, uh, he, he blocked me on Facebook and uh, censored my comments. And um, I went back and looked and uh, he kept a comment uh, when somebody put a little icon with a child playing with a kitty cat. That was acceptable. <laughs> Um, somebody put a smiley face that was cool um, but my comments weren't allowed so so doesn't that concern you that he's exposing the city to an unnecessary liability maybe he should just get off of social media if he's not interested in hearing what other people have to say because it's an interactive medium it's not just a broadcast medium well I did notice that during the train when I was opposing this this light rail that he wants the loop around the city for mm-hmm. 387 million dollars there were a lot of negative comments one day and then the following day they were all they had all disappeared and it was full of all these <laughs> this really positive feedback um, it's it's not easy to take criticism. When I came out and said, look, we have to listen to the experts and we're being sprayed because we're being considered a public health threat. I got hate mail and th- I was attacked on social media, but I did not delete a single comment because I wanted to provide an open forum for everyone. And I think that's part of my re- responsibility as an elected official. Listen, it's not easy to take the criticism because we're doing the best we can. And people don't realize sometimes that these are really, they really are part-time positions. Um, they pay very little. We all have careers in addition to this so we're doing the best that we can trying to you know work full time and take and handle these major issues like zika so he really does need to open up his forums i agree i agree but we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back this is the only in miami show She's got it in for me. She's got it in for me. Her, she got that fire, right? Time to make you leave your wife. Got you loco for her cocoa chocoholic late at night. Thinking that she love you, right? Wrong. She just trying to get on. Cause she feeling all alone. And you got a nice home. She want to live the fast life. Ain't trying to right the wrongs that she did in the past life. Nah. Little red dress and a grin Boy, 
she love to get it in All she ever do is win when it's gonna flip a I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Kristen Rosen Gonzalez. She is a City of Miami Beach commissioner, and she's been so gracious to join us in the studio for the entire hour today. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on to the program. Thanks again, Grant. So let's discuss an issue that you've actually come onto the program and discussed before, which is that the city of Miami Beach has a problem with the pumps that are keeping the streets dry today during the king tides which are happening. Um, has there been any activity by the city to start correcting the problem that's expelling human waste into the bay waters? Well, it's very funny that, that we're talking about it right now. Uh, we, you know, we've been so involved in the Zika crisis that I hadn't asked about the pollution in the Bay, but I did speak to our public works director as soon as the Miami Herald article came out this past week saying that there's it's been a crappy week, there's poop in the Bay. And we, <laughs> we had decided it, yeah. that we were going to work on an ultraviolet light, and at the outfalls we were going to try to install some sort of ultraviolet light which would get rid of a lot of the bacteria that was flowing into the Bay. So as soon as the article came out, I asked, hey, where, you know, where's the light? And they said that we, we are working on the ultraviolet light, uh, but nothing has materialized hmm. yet. <laughs> so we haven't seen the light yet there, huh? No, not yet. Uh, but does that mean they're at least acknowledging that there is a problem now? They're not opposing science or... I think everybody realizes that there's an elevated level of, you know, toxicity or nutrients at the outfalls. Um, I think everybody's very upset about it. Um, you know, uh, but it's really, I mean, when you're Miami Beach, it's very, you know, it's difficult to deal with the fact that we might have these elevated toxic, elevated nutrient levels and swim, you know, in water where people are swimming in, we're known for our pristine waters. So we really do need to take this more seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what happened is, um, you know, last week the Miami Herald came out with a report and the report was based on University of Miami scientific research. And they checked out, uh, they put trackers into the bay and tracked where the, you know, water currents are going. And it's a preliminary track, but it showed that a lot of the currents is actually recirculated um, along Miami Beach's islands, Hibiscus, Palm, and Star Island, as well as the Venetian Isles. Uh, so have you heard anything from residents in that area? I realize that's outside of your district. But do you know if there's any been any... No, th those discussion. islands are part of Miami Beach, so they are part of our district. And nobody's ever contacted me with any complaints or infections that they've got from swimming in the bay. And uh, But, you know, so I, I haven't had, we haven't seen those problems. But the more that I hear about the, the leaky sewer pipes, I really do feel like this is the county's 
issue because we have these leaky sewer pipes and that sewage is leaking all over the floor of Biscayne Bay. And if we don't if we don't correct this, the toxicity levels are going to continue to grow and grow. And the county was told that by a certain date, they had to have this problem solved. And they haven't out of like 12,000 um, out, you know, of a pipe. Like, I think there's, I don't know, 12,000. There's a lot of mileage and pumps 12, and there's 12,000 miles of pipes. Yeah. Um, they've barely put a dent in it. And it's going to cost $14 billion dollars. So, and a lot of people are criticizing the fact that we have, you know, that they've invested money in other initiatives, but not necessarily our infrastructure, our sewage infrastructure, which is the most important. Right. Well, uh, Miami-Dade was looking at uh, obtaining bonds, right, to, to work on the in- these kind of heavy infrastructure projects. But has it happened yet? Yeah, I believe we had $1.6 billion allocated, which is right. just a fraction of the monies needed. But the work is coming along very slowly. And I would like the, uh, to urge the county, I think we passed a resolution a few months ago urging the county to please come and look at our leaky sewer pipes. And I think that another part of our, our old sewage system across the county is you see all of these restaurants are constantly under attack that sewage is coming up that they have cockroaches and rats and I think that all of that is a result from this aging sewer system that's underneath the county running around the county it's disgusting yeah uh, definitely something needs to change and that is a big part of the problem um, we actually spoke with dr. Henry Brisegno from FIU and I uh, I got an earful from some of the uh, landscape architects um, who I work with and they they discussed how the, it's, the problem is not necessarily the pump itself, but the pump is drawing the problems out, whereas the old gravity-based system was not forcibly sucking all of this underground effluvia and then redirecting it, whereas the, the pumps are actually, you know, they've kind of opened up the barrier, shall we say. Um, but the city still isn't warning people about the toxicity levels or We're about going to- about like really the fact that this is a water problem it is causing a cocktail of toxic waters very high levels of nutrient between the seawater and the turbidity from the curtains um you know, stirring up all of the sewage that is on the floor of the bay and then it's coming up through the porous rock and then it's draining back out so what we're seeing is a a kind of nasty cycle that's really difficult for us to control completely. Um, I don't, we have apparently toxic sewage, we have sewage, raw sewage on the floor of Biscayne Bay and I'm not, we need to address this. I'm definitely gonna follow up with a resolution in October um, urging the city to, you know, to take to, to take action because I don't think the ultraviolet light at the outfall is enough. Although we would like to see these because at least we could somehow treat. Start. It would be a good start. So hopefully we'll have a pilot program in place with one, at least one ultraviolet light at an outfall to see. I mean, if it maybe works. that will take care of some of the daily problems, if not the high volume problems caused by the king tide. And lastly, on that issue, um, there is a triathlon scheduled for. September 25th. It's only four days after the king tide. Um, will you ask the city or the city manager to warn or or discourage these uh, triathletes from swimming through the west side of Biscayne Bay uh, just four days after the king tide? I would have to say that we probably, for liability reasons, should warn everybody that there could be a higher nutrient level than than normal. 
But I would like to add that seriously, I know that if somebody jumped into one of our residents jumped into Biscayne Bay and had a problem, we would all hear about it because we all hear about these infections constantly. And thank goodness, I really haven't heard anybody complain. But that said, we do have a responsibility and I'll speak to the city manager. About well, it. let me tell you, it's a, it's a complex issue, um, just like the Zika problem and to have both at the same time is uh, it's a very difficult set of tasks to manage. And again, I thank you for coming out and discussing it candidly with us on the air here. So is there anything you'd like to discuss with the city of Miami Beach that's less sewery and less Zika-y? <laughs> because there's, there's other issues that face, it, the, face the, the beach besides um, these two very upsetting and very um, present issues. Well, I would like to discuss this train there okay. are a lot of residents who do not want us to build this train to nowhere, and we're not getting the appropriate funding that we need for the train. And I voted against our capital budget on first reading last week because $35 million out of an $80 million budget were allocated to a train that uh, the people have not had an opportunity to vote on. And I would like to, I would love for the residents of Miami Beach to be able to vote on this train on a straw ballot. And I'm very sorry that I did not place this on the, you know, on the November ballot as an item that we could have all voted on. Because I think the residents of Miami Beach on this barrier island, we don't want this fixed rail train. I think we could explore a bus rapid transit with a dedicated lane. We haven't even done the research for that. And our community does not have 380 million extra dollars to spend on this train. Um, we did get the state to say that they would give us 12% of the funding, but so far that's it. 12% is a very small percentage yeah. of $380 million. And the county has an even worse problem because they've been using our half penny tax from the Citizens Independent Transit Trust. Uh, those $40 million have been going to operating of, of of, of transportation, current transportation systems when that money was supposed to be allocated for new mass transit projects. So it's very disappointing that we've mismanaged our transit money and you know now we're gonna fall on municipalities to take up that, you know, cause we're already paying for a trolley. The county used to pay for circulators for all of us and now everybody has these free trolleys, city of Miami, city of Coconut right, Grove, right. Miami Beach, and where the municipalities are paying for the majority of these free trolleys. And the, the trolleys are not comfortable for disabled people. They're not comfortable for, you know, older people that are carrying groceries. They're not really, and, and we're eliminating say, our circulator. I, I would say that the, the bigger issue with the trolleys is that they don't, they don't, they're not on the grid of the bigger system so you can't like you know you can't plan the trip as well like you have to actually go to like a separate tracking website and then kind of hope for the best hope that it's coming at the right time and these municipal websites are kind of clunky um no, I know it's a quick it be, fix, yeah. but in Miami Beach, I'm trying to keep our county circulator, the South Beach local, because we're getting rid of it and putting a trolley there. And the disabled community has come to me and said, look, we have to ride in the back of these trolleys like like prisoners. So then I had we had we've had the trolleys modified so that people can get on them more comfortably. But a trolley is never going to replace a bus because it is not an everyday utilitarian uh, transportation mechanism. It's It's like a Disney World. It's not real life. There's buses for a reason. They're taller. They're more airy. They have bigger windows. They're more comfortable. The seats are cushioned. So yeah, yeah, but <laughs> it, yeah, it's. I agree. 
Uh, but they charge a lot more. I mean, a whole lot more. The buses? Like $2.25 a ride. Well, our, our South Beach local, for example, charge 25 cents. And senior citizens uh, okay. don't pay for it. But um, but we are having transportation issues across the county. Miami Beach. Oh, yeah. Is We are really... A, a city divided we're divided against development versus preservation uh putting this train versus you know leaving the beach alone uh, building up all of our parking lots versus allowing ground parking so it's it's really become difficult because people are very emotional um about these issues and a lot of people are angry uh, since the zika though we haven't had that as much traffic as usual so the only benefit <laughs> is that you've been able to drive around the city Yes, yes. It's much easier to get to South Beach these days. I've taken advantage of it a little bit to drop in on the South of Fifth neighborhood, um, which is still open for business. They're yes. all open for business. No, the listen, tourists are coming. The cancellations are happening with larger conventions and groups and, you know, that, that are canceling their, their wedding parties and, and stuff like that. So we have seen a downturn. Um, hopefully we will start the countdown to get out of the 45 day CDC advisory to date. We don't even know what the criteria is for the CDC to start this countdown because they haven't shared it with us. And before I came on the air tonight, I asked our city manager, I said, so what's the criteria for the countdown? And he said, well, that's subjective. Well, we would like to know what the criteria is for them to start the 45 day countdown. And I believe it's probably lower mosquito counts across the board and also uh, fewer local transmission cases. Right. It's the local transmission cases that kick the can down the road. So cross your fingers because we would really like to be off of the CDC's no travel advisory. And we'd like business to be as usual, Miami Beach. Well, I'll tell you, it's uh, it, it's going to be a rough ride. It's probably not going to be the greatest season. But once the weather gets better, the mosquitoes are going to go away anyway, right? We would hope so. But with global warming, it's always, you know, it was hot even last year during Art Basel. So we're just hoping that we can do whatever we can so that we have a healthy Art Basel. The whole county depends on it. Kristen, where can our audience reach out to you if they'd like to continue this discussion online? So on Twitter? I... Facebook. On Twitter, at Rosen Gonzalez, or my Facebook uh, page, uh, Commissioner Kristen Rosen Gonzalez. You can reach out to me either way. Or my city email, Kristen at MiamiBeachFL.gov. Kristen at MiamiBeachFL.gov. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. Thanks again for having me, Grant. That's all we've got for tonight's Only in Miami show. But we'll be back next week at 6 o'clock with historian Paul George. This is the Only in Miami show.
Who takes you to the top and is there for you every step of the way? House of Ladders. House of Ladders 